Well, today is traditionally called in the church Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. And what happens on Palm Sunday is that Easter week uh, or Holy Week or Passion Week, depending on what kind of church background you've come from, you may know it as different terms, whatever you want to call it, the week leading up to Easter begins. And what happens a lot of times on Palm Sunday is that we read a story that's in the Bible. It's actually found in four books. It's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them are the Gospels that write about the life of Jesus. The story is found in all four of those books. And the story is about when Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to actually read from Matthew's account of that story. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, there are different ways to follow along. If you're in one of our campuses, you can watch on the screens in front of you. You can take out your phone or your tablet and go to the Bible app or the Bible Gateway app. Both are great apps for reading the Bible. If you're in Souderton, we have Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. Go ahead and take one of those. In Quakertown, they're in the back of the room. They're on uh, these Bible cards. You can just get up and go and get one or raise your hand. The usher will bring one to you. Whether you're in Quakertown or Sowerton, if you don't own a Bible, take that one home. It's our gift to you. It's free. We believe that reading the Bible can impact your life. And so we want you to have one. If you don't know how to read it, if you've never read one before, totally awesome, totally cool. Give us a call. We'd love to help you with that. Well, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 21. We're going to start at verse 1. Matthew's in the second part of the Bible in the New Testament, so it's towards the second half. Matthew 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So there's this, all this excitement is happening. Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey and a whole parade happens. I mean, just kind of picture the feeling of the Super Bowl parade when the Eagles won. There's just that excitement. That's joy. And people are just celebrating the coming of the king. The coming of the king. But there's so much more that's going on than just this entry into a city. There's so much more that is going on when we talk about the coming of the king. And in order to really understand that, in order to to really understand what is going on, that, that deeper kind of level of this, We have to take a step back for a moment and kind of do a little church history lesson. It's not really, it's not actually really church history. It's more like traditions and and church calendars. Uh, The the church has a calendar 
you know, throughout its history. And there's different kind of seasons or, 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 or days that are kind of marked in that calendar that the church globally celebrates. And one of the things that you need to know is that we are in the season of Lent. Some of you may have heard of that word. Some of you may not have heard of that word. It's totally fine if you've never heard of it. We're in the season of Lent. Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter. It ends on the Saturday, the day before Easter. It's a time of fasting. It's a time of remembering when a story in the Bible, when Jesus was in the wilderness and was fasting. And so during that time, you, you give up stuff. And a lot of times, especially uh, if you grew up in the Catholic church, what, what would happen is you would give up eating meat, uh, especially on Fridays. And so that's why, you know, around this time, you start to see McDonald's advertising their filet fish sandwich, okay? And that's why you see like fish Fridays. And the reason being is that because in regards to Lent, fish is not considered meat. So McDonald's advertises this filet fish sandwich because fish is not considered meat, which is kind of ironic because when it comes to McDonald's burgers, <laughs> they're not considered meat either. But the season of Lent leads up to Easter. There's a different kinds of that in the calendar. And, and actually, like when you come to Christmas, instead of the season of Lent, there's what's called the season of Advent. It's the season of preparation as we lead up to Christmas. Now, why am I telling you all of these different things about the seasons? Well, the passage that we just read throughout the ancient traditions of the church actually was read as the first reading of Advent. Again, these aren't Lent and Advent. These are not things from the Bible. They're not things even that the earliest church did. It happened like a, a couple hundred years later when, the, when Advent and Lent happened. But these, these seasons reflect biblical truths and they're designed to point us to the truth of Jesus. And the first day of Advent in the ancient traditions, the reading was this passage that we just read. The passage that we associate with Palm Sunday, the passage that we associate with springboarding us into the week of Easter, the passage we associate with Easter, actually is the first reading of the season that leads us to the preparation for Christmas. Why? Why does that happen? Because this passage has as its heartbeat the very heartbeat of Advent. Advent actually means coming. Coming. The king is coming. And when we put it in the light of Advent, we see that it's not just a nationalistic king that is riding on a donkey into the city. What we understand when we put that into context of Advent and we understand what's going on at Christmas is that we understand that the almighty God, the all-powerful God, the God of the universe, the king of the universe was not content to leave us in our sin and living in our consequences of sin. He pursues us with a relentless love and comes to us in the form of a baby born in the manger. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, motivated by a relentless love. That no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you will do, God loves you so intensely. No matter what 
someone would say about you, no matter what people critique you for or judge you for, no matter what they say about you, God sees you as someone he pursues with love relentlessly to the point where the king comes in the form of a baby in the manger to live a life that will ultimately end on a cross and ultimately go into victory as he walks out of a tomb on the third day after that death on the cross. The king is coming and we continue to live our hearts with the beauty of Advent, of understanding that the king has come for us to reclaim us back to himself as we live with expectant hearts and hope with the knowledge that the king will one day come again. The king is coming. And so when the crowds cry out and they cheer, they cheer that the king is coming, but it is so much more deeper than just this passage. The God of the universe has come to reclaim his people back to him. So what is this passage about? What is this story about that we just read? Well, the story is about the king coming. The king is coming, but not just on a donkey into Jerusalem riding into uh, this city, but coming to us in the form of fully God and fully man, reclaiming us back to him. This passage is about the king coming, but it's also, it's also, it's not just about that. It's also about the revealing of the king. This is about the coming of the king and it's about the revealing of the king. Jesus reveals himself in this action for who he really is. He creates a picture, and in this picture, he fulfills all sorts of prophecies that were throughout the Old Testament, all sorts of prophecies that were given. He fulfills these prophecies and expresses his identity. The messianic secret, if you will, has now been removed. And you have to understand where he's going as he's riding into Jerusalem. He knows the death he is about to face. He knows that he is a man condemned to death. He knows that he is riding towards the very people who want him dead, who will do everything and anything to kill him. And he does not ride into the city under the cover of darkness. He does not ride wearing a, some sort of cloak or costume. He does not try to hide his entrance, but instead goes into the city in the boldest and loudest possible way. And he reveals himself. This is Jesus' most deliberate statement of who he is up until this point. This is his most deliberate statement of who he is. And so this passage is about the revealing of the king. But the revealing is missed. It's missed. Some people kind of partially get it. Some people don't get it at all. And, and there's another group who just kind of outright reject it. The revealing is missed. We see that even in the passage that we just read. We get to the end and, 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 and the city's kind of stirred. All of this commotion's happening and they cry out like, who is this? Who is this man? And the crowds cry back, this is Jesus of Nazareth, a great prophet, a great prophet. And that's true. 
They speak truth. They're saying truth. But they're not quite getting the fullness of the truth. And if we went on to, to read Luke's account, actually the crowds cry out and they, and they use the term king. When they cry out the description, they use the term king. But they don't understand his kingdom. And they don't understand what he's doing. And we know that because in Luke's account, we also read of when Jesus is approaching the city of Jerusalem. And as he approaches it, he looks out on the people. He looks down at the city. And he says, if you only could see, if you could only see what would bring you peace, if you could only see what would save you, if you could only see who I was. And as Jesus is looking at that and saying, but you can't, his heart breaks. And we read in the Bible that Jesus weeps. He weeps these huge sobs of sorrow because they miss the revealing of the king they do not understand. Even in the book of John, as we go to the book of John and we read of Jesus' disciples, those closest to him, those who did life with him, we read that they don't even fully understand it. The king is revealed and it is missed. But for some, it is only missed temporarily. They don't see it as he rides in to the city on a donkey. But on the third day, when the stone rolls away from the tomb, their eyes are open. And they see the truth of Jesus. And their hearts explode. Their hearts explode. I was trying to kind of figure out what could kind of illustrate that feeling. What, what could kind of illustrate that feeling of, of missing something. And then when you finally see the truth of just having that joy inside of you. And, and, and I kept trying to come up with a story and, and think of something. And then I kept coming back to one story and it's not a good story. It really fails in, in, in light of the, the weight of what I'm trying to describe, but it's all I could come up with, so this is what you guys are going to get. Some of you know that before my current position, I used to be the children's pastor of Calvary Church, and before being the children's pastor, I, used, I started Family Fusion here at Calvary, and then before that, I was just a volunteer. I actually was just someone who volunteered here at the church. And when I was volunteering in, in um, Calvary Kids back in the day, I used to uh, do stuff with Dave Walters, who's the current director of Calvary Kids for Souderton. And we used to do crazy stuff. We used to do just crazy stuff. Uh, and one of the things that we did at Easter time when we were trying to share the story of Easter is we used to do these drama sketches where we would do these superhero sketches. KZ and Buddy. KZ was short for Kid Zone. That's who I was. I was the superhero. Buddy was a bear. And Dave would dress up in a bear costume with these red, this red mask. And he would be the sidekick. And so I would ride in on a scooter. I was wearing uh, a black shirt with a KZ on it. And I had a white mask with this really, really weird red wig. <laughs> and I wasn't sure if I looked like a superhero or a demented Ronald McDonald. <laughs> now I know. I know what some of you are thinking. The wig wasn't what made you look like Ronald. The shoes you're wearing, now that, that makes you look like Ronald McDonald. 
And so I'd go in there and we'd, we'd have all these battles with like cruel fool and, and, and Dr. Despair. And I, we were a mess. We really were. And then we'd finish up and then I'd, I'd go and I'd take off the costume, come back as just Carlos. And I'd walk in and the kids were like, oh, you're KZ. You're KZ. And they'd point to me and I'd just point and I'd be like, look, KZ has hair. And that's all I would say, KZ has hair. Because they knew, they knew it was me. They knew it was me. Except for one Sunday after we did this, I went and I sat on the stage and this little eight-year-old boy came up to me, Jack. Jack sits on the stage and Jack starts talking to me and he starts telling me about how much he loves KZ and and how excited he is whenever he comes. And then he looks at me and he goes, do you know who KZ is? And I'm looking at him. I I thought he was playing a joke at first and then I just see the earnestness in his eyes. He's just staring at me. Do you know who he is? And I was just like, yeah, I know who he is, but that's all I can tell you right now, Jack. That's all I can tell you. And I was just like surprised by the wonder. I was like, I'm like sitting right next to you, dude. Like the person you're looking for is, is right here. I'm, I'm right next to you. And you, you just don't recognize me. You don't see me. And it was just kind of crazy. Fast forward a couple of years. We stopped doing KZ and Buddy live, and we started to videotape it. Well, one day we finished videoing. We were up in the FX factory in Southerton, and we were up there, and we're done. And so I take off my wig, and I take off my mask, and I turn around and realize I left the door open. And who's standing in the doorway? Jack, with his mouth wide open, (laughs) just staring at me. And then the biggest smile came on his face. I had never seen Jack smile like that before. It was the biggest smile. And then he takes his finger and he brings it up to his mouth and he goes, shh. As if to say, my secret was safe with him. And then he goes and he turns and he just runs down the hallway, skipping with this biggest smile in the world. And I'll never forget that smile. And it's something that there's sometimes when you're just watching kids and the joy that they have and the expressions on their faces, sometimes just we lose some of that innocence at times. And I'll never forget the joy that he had. You take that moment of joy by Jack and you times it by an infinite amount and you'll get the joy that was going on on the day when that stone rolled away. The one they were looking for was the one that they were cheering. The one that they missed was right there. He was right there in their midst. He was right there. The one they were longing for was right there. But they missed it. But when he walked out of that tomb alive, their hearts exploded with joy. It exploded with joy. And that is the progression that we all have to go through at some point. You see, we start off not seeing Jesus for who he is. The one that we are longing for, that that, that hole inside of our heart, the one thing we are aching for, he's right there. He's right there and we don't see him. But the moment that we see the truth of who Jesus is, the moment when we kind of, our eyes are open and we see Jesus for who he is and we claim him as king, our hearts explode with joy. And if you've never experienced that, maybe today is the day you claim him as king.
You stop sitting on the throne and you say, no, this is your throne. You are in charge of my life. I ask for forgiveness and I choose you. It is claiming him as king and seeing him for who he really is. So what is this passage about? It's about the coming of the king. Not just a king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, but a king, an all-powerful, all-knowing king of the universe, God himself becoming man, God with us, starting as a baby in a manger, living a life with us, giving us the most astounding act of love throughout all of history as he dies on the cross and then walking out eternally victorious, claiming us as his own. And in so doing, in that death and resurrection, this passage is also about the revealing of the king. He reveals himself as he rides into Jerusalem, but he reveals himself in a garden as he agonizingly chooses to obey the will of his father. He reveals himself on a cross. He reveals himself as he walks out of the tomb. And it is because of the revealing of the king on that cross and on, in that tomb, it is because of that we have hope. It is a hope we cling to because the king is returning. The king will come back. That is the hope we cling to. You see, up until this point, as we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we never see Jesus riding anything. Up until this entry into Jerusalem, we never see Jesus ride anything. He's walking everywhere. He's walking everywhere up until this point. And we never see him ride anything afterwards in those four books. But if you would go to the end of the story, if you'd go to the last book of the Bible, if you'd go to the book of Revelation, you'd go to chapter 19. He is once again riding. But this time, he's not riding a donkey. He's riding a white horse. This time, there is no doubt of the revealing of the king. This time, the king comes back, the conquering king in all of his glory. And when he returns... He will bring about the truth of Revelation chapter 21 where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sickness for the king has returned. That is the hope that we cling to. That is the hope that carries us in our life. But what do we do from now until then? How do we live as followers of the king in his kingdom, followers of Jesus in his kingdom, how do we live out as we hope and wait for his return? What are we supposed to do? Well, I was thinking about that and I kept coming back to the psalm that I read earlier. I kept coming back to the psalm that was echoed in the book of Matthew. I kept coming back to Psalm 118. I kept coming back to the first verse of that psalm. Psalm 118.1 says this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks 
to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. It is this love that motivated the coming of the king as a baby in the manger. Emmanuel, God with us. It was the love that revealed Jesus as a king, not just as he rode into the city on a donkey, but as he lived out his life, as he chose to obey the will of his father, as he died on that cross, as he walked out of that tomb. It is that love that revealed Jesus for who he was. And it is that love that brings about the hope that we can live with, knowing that the king will return and he will restore everything to perfection. The king is returning. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. What does that look like? How do we thank the Lord? Do we write him a card? Do we send him a note just saying thank you? How do we thank the Lord? We thank the Lord by continuing what Jesus started. We thank the Lord by continuing what he started. The king's love was so great that he would come to those who desperately needed him. His love was so great that he revealed himself to those who desperately needed him for who he was. And it was so great that he made a way to reclaim us and bring us the hope that one day he will return and make everything right. We continue what Jesus started when our hearts are filled with the same love that was shown to us. And we go to the people who so desperately need Jesus. And we reveal Jesus for who he is by our words and our deeds. As we give them the hope that the king is returning. Let us live accordingly. Calvary Church, this Easter, I ask you for one thing. I encourage you to do one thing. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. His love endures forever. Let's pray. God, you are so good. You love us more than we could possibly imagine. Lord, help us not to claim that love for ourselves and not love others with the same love. Help us just to love like you love. Lord, we pray for our Easter services that are coming up. Lord, we ask you that you would bring those who need to hear the good news of Jesus into our campuses, both here in Southerton and in Quakertown. That you would allow that good news to be heard and to be seen for the truth that it is and that you would change lives. Allow our lives to be the picture of that truth of the gospel. Lord, I ask you that you would show up in a mighty way and that when it's done, our eyes will see how you showed up and we will just point our hands to heaven and say, Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. We thank you for what you are doing and what you will do. Be with us this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.